Hey, it's Nathan. This is day 35 of the Bible in 90 days. We're in the book of Ezra. In fact, today we're covering the entire book. The book of Ezra finds us several years after the people of Judah are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian kingdom has fallen to the Medes and Persians with Cyrus on the throne. The book begins with these words. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. What follows is an official decree of Cyrus declaring that God, and I quote now, has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. The decree included an order that the Israelites' neighbors were to provide them resources for the work of rebuilding the temple of God. Families from Judah and Benjamin, along with priests and Levites, began to prepare for the trip back to Jerusalem, assisted by their neighbors. Further, Cyrus returned, and I quote, the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, with which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away, to the care of the returning Israelites. The chapter includes an inventory totaling 5,400 gold and silver articles. By the way, you should read chapter 1. Chapter 2 is a record by families of those who returned to Jerusalem. A few of those claiming to be priests could not be confirmed by ancestral records and so are excluded from the priesthood as unclean. Upon arrival, and I quote, the priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. Chapter 3 records the rebuilding of the altar by the priests. And I quote, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. Following this, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles. Regular burnt offerings were begun. Even the foundation, excuse, excuse me, even though the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. Next, the rebuilding of the temple is begun. Everyone pitching in together, supervised by the Levites. When the foundation was laid, there was great rejoicing, led by the Levites who sang, and I quote, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. In the midst of the rejoicing, however, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads, and I'm quoting now, who had seen the former temple wept aloud. The joy and weeping could be heard far away. And that last little bit is a quote from the book. In chapter 4, we learn of resistance to the work of rebuilding as the locals who'd been settled there under Esarhaddon, you might remember him as a king of Assyria, tried to join the work of rebuilding the temple. Their wish was denied on account of Cyrus's command. So the locals began to try and undermine the work. Sometime later, an accusation is made via letter to Artaxerxes, claiming that the Israelites will stop paying tribute after rebuilding the city, reminding the king of its past history 
they urge by the way that they here are the locals who were denied the privilege of helping rebuild the temple. So they send this letter to Artaxerxes and they say, listen, stop the work because when they're finished, they're going to stop paying taxes to the kingdom. Artaxerxes responds by issuing a reply that the people be ordered to stop the work of rebuilding until further notice. And so the work comes to a halt, and I quote now, until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In chapter 5, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, which will come to later in the Old Testament, urge the people to assume to resume the work of rebuilding the temple. And they do so only to arouse the opposition again of the locals. A letter is sent to King Darius of Persia explaining the problem and asking that the king investigate the royal records to see if Cyrus had indeed commanded the rebuilding of the temple. Chapter 6 informs us that upon investigation, the decree of Cyrus for the rebuilding of the temple is discovered. By the way, you should read chapter 6. And here in the chapter, instruction is found that the costs are to be paid by the royal treasury. Darius then instructs the officials of the province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. He continues further. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. This was to be done, and I quote again, so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Violation of this decree would result in death. So Darius was very serious about reinstituting or reinstating the decree of Cyrus. Under this new decree, and with the support of the prophets, the work prospers, being finished in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. This completion is a time of great celebration, along with the dedication of the rebuilt house of God and the installation of the priests and Levites. Shortly after, the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover are celebrated. Chapter 7 is next, by the way. You should read Chapter 7 as well, it records that Ezra, a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses, by the way, travels from Babylon to Jerusalem. This, and I quote, Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. He carries with him a letter from King Artaxerxes along with royal funds to provide for offerings and whatever else was needed to carry out God's will. Additional funds were promised as needed. This was done with the instruction, and I'm quoting again, whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Why should his wrath fall on the realm of the king and of his sons? Further, the letter granted tax exemption and provided Ezra with judicial authority, and that judicial authority included giving Ezra the power of the death penalty as needed. Chapter 8 lists the families who traveled with Ezra back to Jerusalem. Under Ezra's direction, this group makes preparations for the trip, including the assignment of responsibilities on the trip, specifically the care of the donations entrusted to them by the king and others. 
The chapter notes that Ezra, and I quote, was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. They arrive in Jerusalem with God's protection and all of the gold, silver, and sacred articles are accounted for. Following this, offerings are made. Chapter 9 records Ezra addressing the problem of intermarriage, including among the priests. This problem left Ezra appalled and puzzled, and so he prayed, beginning, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. The prayer includes Ezra acknowledging Israel's violation of God's instruction by their intermarriage with the locals. This powerful line is also included. What has happened to us is a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt. And yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserve and have given us a remnant like this. And then to chapter 10, which, by the way, you should read. Chapter 10 begins... While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. One of those present, Shechaniah, acknowledges Israel's great sin. We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. But in spite of this, there is still hope for Israel. He then proposes the people make a covenant to send their pagan wives and children away. Ezra takes this counsel, and the people take an oath to follow through. Meanwhile, Ezra begins to fast in mourning over Israel's unfaithfulness. Ezra gives the command for all the men to assemble in three days to resolve this matter of mixed marriages. When assembled, the people respond to Ezra's rebuke. You are right. We must do as you say. However, due to the cold rain that's falling, plans are made to address the problem of mixed marriages at set times in each town, and it's accepted with little opposition. The process takes about two months to complete. The chapter concludes with a list of the priestly descendants who had intermarried. And that's the end of Ezra. See you in Nehemiah.